If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. This week, I'm excited for you to meet George Frazier, co-founder and CEO of Fivetran, a fully managed automated data integration provider. George co-founded Fivetran in 2012 with his childhood friend, Taylor Brown. He scaled the company to a global business valued at over $5.6 billion with over 1,000 employees. Fivetran now serves thousands of customers and hundreds of leading brands across the globe, including JetBlue, Morgan Stanley Square, and many, many more. Prior to Fivetran, George received a PhD in neurobiology from the University of Pittsburgh with a BS in cognitive science and biology from Carnegie Mellon. And with that, let's welcome George. It's really nice to properly get to meet you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Um, We're going to start with the basics. Let's go back to 2012. What was the origin story behind Fivetran? You obviously started it with your childhood friend, Taylor Brown. Go back to those early days. Where did the idea come from? So we started the company end of 2012. Prior to that, I was working at a biotech company. He was working at a startup in Oakland, uh, working on apps for Facebook. And we had known each other since we were born. Actually, our families have been friends for since our great-grandparents that we know of. It may go back further. Uh, so we go we go way back. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons of starting a company with a friend. But I think overall for us, it's been uh, by far mostly pros. And the original idea was different. So the original idea was to make a vertically integrated data analysis environment that would go all the way from wherever the data lived, like Salesforce or Stripe or your database, through storage, through compute, through user interface for analysis. And it took various forms over, you know, 2013, 2014, but I, I won't get into all that just yet. So it started with a with a different idea, but the, the thing that eventually did work was in there. Um, so the, the data integration connectors piece was there from the start. I want to rewind um, for one thing, which is before you founded Fivetran, you were a scientist. How do you think that that thinking led you here or did it at all? Well, it's a funny journey. I mean, what I am doing today has little to do with neuroscience, I, I will say. I don't regret it at all. It was a great experience. It was a different time of my life. It was kind of an adventure to be part of trying to discover something new in the world of science is, is something really special and a, and a great privilege. And it's okay if it doesn't, if your whole career doesn't make sense, that's okay. That's something I often like to tell people who are also, you know, who did PhDs and who are thinking about, you know, do they want to stay in academia or do they want to do something else? Like it doesn't have to fit together. It's okay if your if your PhD research was just like this cool thing that you did maybe doesn't have a ton to do with what you did later. You just made a contribution to this like great, you know, enterprise of humanity that is science. Uh, and then you did something else. That's okay. 
I do think it influences how I think today. The big idea of science is, you know, how do we know what the truth is? How do we draw conclusions? What is evidence? What's good evidence? What's medium evidence? What's bad evidence? And I, I think that framework is very powerful and it, and it applies to business just as it applies to medicine. Um, I think we're at an earlier stage of bringing these ideas of evidence to business. I wrote a blog post recently called Evidence-Based Business, where I tried to explain my own experience of, of trying to teach people these ideas within Fivetran and apply them to my own decisions. Um, and I, I think there's a lot uh, to be won there if we do that. I think we can make our businesses better. Um, I think we can question some longstanding ideas um, and, and discover that we've been wrong about some things. I don't know what things will have turned out to be wrong about. That's how science works. But um, I, I think it's a great opportunity to, to do better if we, can, if we can translate some of those ideas. I want to go back to Fivetran's initial product, which went through a big pivot to data integration in 2015. What were the early hints of product market fit that really followed into that decision? And what advice do you have for other founders right now thinking about product market fit? We had built this integrated data source to dashboard environment, which, you know, over the course of 2013, 2014, really evolved into basically a BI tool. And we were trying to get people to use that. And it was not good. <laughs> but we were, we were talking to users. We were getting people to use it, at least for, for a few minutes and, and learning. And then what happened is, as we were doing this, data warehouse from Amazon, Redshift, was taking off. At the time, it was the fastest growing product in Amazon's history. And we were using it under the hood as part of this tool we had built, right? It, so it was it was behind the scenes. It was doing the storage and compute for us. And what started to happen is, as we were talking to these users, many of whom were, you know, founders or people on data teams at Bay Area technology companies, we started to hear, I don't really want to use your terrible BI tool, but I, I just set up my own Redshift data warehouse, and I've got my own plan for what I'm going to do with the data. But there's no data in it. I, I, and I like the sound of these connectors that you've built. Like, can I just have that? And our first reaction was the same as, as a lot of people's, which was kind of like, well, you can't make a whole company just around connectors, can you? And actually, it turns out you can. <laughs> uh, and um, But that, those were the first hints, is when people just started to ask us for that. They said, hey, like, I want my data in my data warehouse. And then we looked at what else what was available, you know, for, for, for solving this problem, what tools were available. The things that were available at that time, they were really emphasized customizability. And the downside of customizability is it just takes a long time to set up and it takes a lot of work to maintain. They were just very complicated. I now understand in retrospect why they were built the way they were. And, and it was the right answer for a different era of computing. Um, but the, the underlying technology had changed in a way that created an opportunity for a different kind of data integration tool, and partly wittingly, partly unwittingly. If you were going to describe in plain English to everyone listening what a customer's experience, product experience is with Fivetran, what is it today? Well, Fivetran is infrastructure of a kind, and it, it doesn't do anything by itself. You have to connect it to a data source and a data destination. And, and typically, you'll connect many data sources and one data destination. And that data destination is, is your data warehouse for your company. The user experience is very simple, intentionally so. There's a setup form, a few steps to connect the source. And then we replicate all the data continuously from the source to the destination. So you, you end up with a copy of the data from all of these systems uh, in one database. And that database becomes the place where you do data analysis and answer questions about uh, what's happening in your business. 
take what you just said and and give us a little bit more on how you think about what defining high quality and what that means and what your values are and how you drive that across the thousand plus employees that you have today. The thing that has really differentiated Five Strand has always been our willingness and indeed our maniacal focus on building high quality connectors and and high quality core infrastructure at Fivetran that supports these connectors. So the funny thing is that as a user, that mostly results in things not happening. <laughs> There's just not very much to do to get it up and running. Once you get it up and running, it runs itself. There's just not a lot for you to do. We used to joke in the early years that uh, engagement was an anti-metric for us, that the less active users we had, the better, because it meant that everything was just working. Now there are more features for doing things like orchestrating transformations of the data after it's delivered. Um, and so there's more reasons to actually be in the Fivetran UI these days, so it's no longer true. But in the early days, it really was the case that like it was set it and forget it. The high quality user experience in our space is mostly about what doesn't happen, which is all of the setup and maintenance that's associated with other approaches to data integration. You acquired HVR in 2021. Can you walk us through your strategic thought process behind such a bold move? And to acquire your biggest competitor is not only rabbit out of hat move, it's pretty awesome, but it's working. How did you land on that idea? Well, I'm not sure HVR was our biggest competitor. We did sometimes compete with them, but then we also had shared accounts where we were both in them. We were competitors, but we mostly operated in different segments. HVR targeted larger, older companies and Fivetran targeted smaller and younger companies. There was overlap. And what was going on there is we recognized that we just really didn't have product market fit in large enterprises whose IT infrastructure had been around for a long time and was heavily reliant on certain databases. And HVR, as an independent company, went on a very different journey. It was founded in 1998. One of the stranger consequences of that acquisition is that I am no longer the longest tenured five trainer by a mile. Uh, <laughs> but they were the champions of doing that kind of work. They had the best product that had ever been built in to, to solve that problem. They had the, the sales team that could have those conversations because for these bigger, older companies, there's a team that maintains those databases. And if you want to plug into that, you have to talk to that team and you have to convince them that you're not going to blow it up. There's some very complex and meaningful conversations that need to happen as part of the sales process in order to do that. They were just the best in the business at all of that. We had capabilities there, but we knew we were not as good. And we knew it was going to take years to get as good. And uh, if we ever did, indeed, then there was no guarantee that we would succeed. It's just an incredibly hard problem. And so that that's what led us to say, hey, let's uh, put these things together, and then we'll really have a full spectrum offering that can cover all types of data sources, all types of companies, all types of deployment scenarios. Considerable amount has been done. We really are one company. We have been one company for a year. And so it's going really well. What do you feel like you learned? If you had like two or three big takeaways from what you learned leading through an acquisition, what are they? Oh, man, uh, so much. An acquisition forces you to make some really high stakes decisions about how you're going to put these things together and on what timeline. And I made some decisions wrong. I learned some things about my own limitations and, and um, needing to recover from mistakes quickly. Uh, so that, that was part of it. I, the acquisition has gone very well and the integration is going very well. But nonetheless, because you have to make so many high stakes decisions so quickly, you're going to get some of them wrong and you're going to need to adjust later. 
I learned a lot about these large companies and how to sell into large companies. You know, we acquired a fully functioning enterprise business, which we didn't really have. We had an enterprise business. It just wasn't as big or as deep or as broad as theirs. And, you know, we acquired a machine that was really doing a lot of things right that we had not figured out. And, and that's really amazing. Uh, it's an incredible accelerator. And, and I've learned a ton about what it actually takes to sell into those accounts. I've learned a lot about product management. Uh, you know, if you're selling to these big old companies, everyone knows that you will tend to get sucked into a lot of feature requests. And there's a fine balance that you have to strike of saying yes to enough, but not too many. You need a repeatable business, but at the same time, you can't just say no to everything. You've spoken about the three V's of big data, volume, variety, and velocity. How do you think entrepreneurs can harness the power of big data to help inform their decision-making? And then I want to talk about what you think the future of AI will be in data, particularly as you think about a five trend. So that's more about the technology as opposed to the second part of your question, which is how decision-makers use data. You know, volume, velocity, and variety, those are kind of the three challenges that you run into when you are trying to do any form of data integration, reporting, you name it. Volume is the one that tends to get the most attention. You know, how many terabytes or petabytes of data can you manage? It's actually the easiest to solve from a technology perspective. Variety is, uh, is really tough. Uh, <laughs> and that's the one we spend the mo- have spent the most time on. And I, I think the area where we excel the most. And, and this is just like, these data sources, they're very quirky. They all work differently. In order to accurately replicate data from one place to another, you have to learn all of these funky rules about what to do in all these bizarre situations. And a lot of them don't really make that much sense. You just discover them by running into them. You know, what we've done over the years is really build up this compendium of rules embodied in our code base about how to deal with all these different situations. What do you do when, you know, Postgres does this? What do you do when Salesforce does that? And I think that's the biggest part of the value we provide. Uh, unfortunately, the way you notice it is that you don't notice that it. it just keeps working. <laughs> we sometimes talk about like, we need to somehow surface this to people like just by the way, like, nothing happened, but behind the scenes, like all this stuff happened to make nothing happen. And then the last one velocity, this is really about like, how stale is the data? And this is also a very hard problem. It's not hard in the way people usually think it is when people talk about this, they often say, Oh, you know, we need to have a streaming system. Uh, like a message broker, because that can turn our velocity from, you know, five minutes down to five seconds. And I regret to inform you, the challenge is actually trying to get from like one day to five minutes or one really one hour to five minutes or one minute. The, these data sources are just not good at giving you data quickly. It's you have to sort of torture them in order to get the data out quickly. And um, that actually is the hardest part of the velocity problem. It's not the sort of systems and infrastructure downstream. That's much easier. Similar to like data volume is actually, it's a relatively solved problem. It's really uh, this incidental complexity of how to get the data out of the sources quickly. So that the three V's are really about technology. Um, the second part of your question is um, how do leaders actually, and anyone at a company, use data First of all, you need to have working systems. It's kind of table stakes. You need to have data integration. You need to have central 
place that all your data lives. If you're a really small company, that might be a spreadsheet. I mean, spreadsheets are fine for certain types of companies. Not everyone needs a data warehouse, but many companies, that is going to be a data warehouse that you're, you're going to put together. But the technology problem you should really view as table stakes. It's kind of tactical. There are good solutions like us for solving this problem. We're not that expensive, much cheaper than building it yourself, I promise you. And so you need to get that done. That's your baseline. And then uh, making use of the data is, a lot of it is really about, you know, sort of scientific thinking and following evidence. And a lot of that is about self-discipline. You know, data is hardest to use when it tells us we are wrong. <laughs> that is the thing people struggle the most with, and everyone struggles with it. They even leak into data analysis. You know, when you start doing multiple comparisons, you can end up coming up with models that are misleading, that are basically data mining. Uh, so even, even analysts do it without realizing that they're, that they're doing it. So strangely enough, once you've solved the technology problem, the next hardest problem is sort of an emotional one, is <laughs> trying to accurately understand what the data is telling you, what it isn't telling you, because data has limitations, it can be confounded. Sometimes it tells you nothing because it's so confounded. And, and then changing your opinion. Uh, based on what the data tells you is is the hardest part. How do you think about the future of data integration as somebody who literally is sitting on top of one of the larger data integration companies out there? Well, data integration has always been much bigger than it seems if you look at the companies doing data integration, because most data integration that happens out there in the world is DIY. It's people writing Python scripts and stuff like that. Data integration is like this iceberg, and the tip of the iceberg is the companies doing it, like us and Informatica and others. And then the rest of the iceberg is all the DIY. So I, I think the future of data integration is mostly about displacing DIY because the products like us have gotten really good. <laughs> and it's something that, you know, I think it, it made sense often to do DIY before. The tools were so customizable that they were just basically programming languages. Um, but today, you know, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I, I think Fivetrain is pretty good. And I think um, we're going to see you know, as people build new systems and as people replace legacy systems when they go wrong, and then some of them will, will, will be around for decades, um, we're going to see a lot of DIY get displaced by products. Is there any other bigger prediction or two that you think about that we should all know? Uh, similar to like how data integration is bigger than it looks uh, reporting is bigger than it looks. When you look at the data world, there's always a lot of discussion about the new things, about machine learning workflows and predictive analytics. But good old reporting is so big and nobody talks about it because it's old and it's, it's, it's kind of boring. And that's okay. Reporting is great. <laughs> reporting can tell you things that you didn't know and allow you to make better decisions. Lastly, anything that you think people think is obvious that you think is maybe not going to happen, like any counter pr predictions that you may have? Well, I'll tell you something I go back and forth on. Uh, <laughs> some people think we're about to head into a phase of consolidation of the data stack, of the tools in the data stack, because there's a lot of them. And sometimes I'm convinced by that. But then sometimes I think it's the opposite. And this is the more unconventional view, is that actually this is still just the beginning, that it, it's, it's going to get even more fragmented. You know, Snowflake has talked a lot about the separation of storage of, and compute. And uh, we're seeing an even more intense version of that now, where the 
storage layer is getting explicitly decoupled from the data warehouse in the form of these data lake formats. Um, Iceberg and, and Delta are the primary ones. And, and Snowflake, to their credit, is embracing it. Even though they lose a certain degree of control over the customer, they have built first-class support for completely separate storage. And that has some really interesting implications. We can see the stack could gain another layer potentially uh, for those who want it to work like that. So that's just one example of this remaking may not be over. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Cardin knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. George, I want to transition a little bit to you. If you go back, was there one thing your parents did that really stands out as something that you attribute some of your success to? One of the things my parents did, <laughs> I have two brothers, and we are all very accomplished, and we are all very different in what we chose and the manner of accomplishment. And we were all very different growing up. And friends of my parents who knew us growing up have commented what a good job they did sort of letting us each develop in our own way. You started FiveTran with one of your childhood friends, Taylor. What have you learned from like building a business with someone you've known for that long? What have I learned from that? I think, you know, we're very different, Taylor and I, and we tend to focus on different things in the business. And I think that's healthy. That's helped it work. <laughs> you gain an appreciation for people who are good at things that you are not. Because, you know, when you really know somebody and you know how different they are, then you can sit and then you see the results. You gain an appreciation for the varieties of people <laughs> that exist. I think you gain the appreciation that, like, if you really trust someone and really work together, you can accomplish a lot. There's kind of a, a leap of faith element to, to trusting someone, which is easier when you've known them for a long time, especially when you're, you know, betting so much of your career on it. But, like, if you do it and it works, it, it's really powerful. One other thing you've said, George, that I love, you said the fear of failure is an underrated motivator. And I, I love it. Just tell me more about what you mean with that. Yeah, well, you know, one of the unexpected consequences of starting a company with a not only a personal friend, but a family friend, is that there's this huge network of people now, friends and relatives, who know what you all are doing. <laughs> And uh, that created a lot of pressure to make it work. It was like, oh my God, we have to make this succeed or we're going to be hearing about it for the rest of our lives. You know, Louise, who invested a little bit of money, is going to be making me buy her drinks until death uh, if I don't make this company succeed and create a return. Uh, so, you know, I don't think any one of them intended it, but it, it, in my own mind, created an intense fear of, of failure. And, and for me, that was a powerful motivator. Because remember, we went through over two years of zero customers and many iterations on the product before we found product market fit. And, and that was, you know, one factor in helping drive that all the way through. How do you stay sane? I, I find all founders have one or two tricks 
that is just like the way you balance and combat stress? What's yours? That question presumes that I do indeed stay sane and balance things. I I, I question the premise. You you look really put together. I feel like you're doing all right. Well, you know, I'll say first and foremost, it comes back to the fact Taylor and I have really divided the business the entire time. And that's incredibly helpful (laughs) that there's just a lot of things that I'm not actually paying attention to or stressing out about. And that doesn't just apply to him, that applies to lots of other people at the company. So I, I think sharing the burden is a, a key part of it. And then and then trying to figure out something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, where do I actually get involved and where do I actually help as opposed to just uh, disrupt? Uh, so I think picking your battles is big as well. As a founder, what do you hold as sacred? And what I mean by that is, I think all of us have something in our head that is sacred about what how you're showing up at work or what you're doing, or it could be mission-oriented, or it could be a rule. What's sacred in your head? Well, 5Tran, I think of as a kind of utility. We're sort of like the power company, and, and our the most important thing is, you know, being reliable. And that might not be the most exciting mission at first, but it is very powerful and valuable and we should be proud of delivering that reliability on this infrastructure thing that a lot of people even at our customers may not even be aware that they're using fivetran data so I, I think it's you know be proud of providing that core service that maybe doesn't get a ton of attention but is really important and we know it's important because of how much people miss it when it doesn't work. George, I'm going to quickly ask you a question. And I just wonder the first thing that comes to your mind. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, and the first is, what is an interview question you love? I don't have standard interview questions that I always ask people. I The closest thing is um, I will often ask people for examples of exhibiting whatever behavior I think is important for the job that they're interviewing for. So I ask people to tell stories. Is there a quote that you, that it impacted your life? Is there like a saying or a quote or any sort of phrase that has been powerful for you? There are many, but the only ones that are popping to mind are kind of dark. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not putting those out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> like the dark one would be great. Um, while you think about one that you're, you would be excited to share, um, what was your biggest pinch me moment to date in the last decade of the company's history? When we did the HBR acquisition, I had to raise a lot of money on a very short timetable. And it ended up being kind of a last minute hustle because of the way it all evolved. It was, there were circumstances that I ended up doing it at a time that I did not expect, uh, I I actually was at the family cabin in Wisconsin at the time, and I did the deal sitting at my great-grandfather's desk, uh, who was also a CEO of um, a company called Chicago Title and Trust. Wow. And uh, that was kind of a, because it had been his desk, and then it had been my grandfather's desk, uh, who also was an entrepreneur, started a company called Pettibone World Trade. And uh, that was kind of a big moment, because it was a lot of money. I mean, that that, that fundraise was $565 million. So uh, that's, that's a lot of money. That was a pinch me moment for sure. 
a book that's changed your life doesn't have to be a business book. Any book that you just really left any impact on you. Well, I was a big Ayn Rand fan as a teenager, as, as many people are. And I read The Fountainhead first, and I, I really loved that. And I have a different perspective on it now than I did at the time. But I, I do think that that was a big influence on me and, and might have set me on the journey to be an entrepreneur. George, last question. Um, what is one category of innovation outside of data that you're just fascinated by or excited about or paying a little bit of attention to? Well, I don't want to be basic here, but I think <laughs> large language models, what is happening right now is big and astonishing. Um, I found a great new use case yesterday. Uh, there, there's so many. We're in this moment of discovery uh, for what you can do with these things. We, uh, we do Q&A at our all-hands meeting, and sometimes a lot of people submit the same question. And, uh, you know, I'm always afraid if I condense the question, I can be accused of, like, editing. Well, ChatGPT can do it for you. You just put them in. You say, ChatGPT, please turn this into one question. It does a really good job. So that is big. That is big. Um, George, first of all, this has been absolutely delightful. You are such a wonderful human. Um, everybody out there, if you want to learn more, you got to head to 5tran.com. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alex Von Tobel. George, we're rooting for you. You're absolutely just a fascinating person. Um, thank you so much. And just thank you so much again for coming on today. We're very grateful. Thank you, Alexa. Thanks for having me on. 